Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. John chapter 18. We'll read verses 28 through the first part of verse 38. John 18 verses 28 through 38. This is the final message in the Believe series, five-part series. We started off by talking about believing God. And then we proceeded further to the essential step of believing Jesus. We also talked about believe in the Bible. And last week we talked about believe in grace. Today we're going to finish up uh, by talking about truth. Believe in truth. John chapter 18, beginning with verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. Let's pray. Lord, it's uh, painfully obvious to me that the verses I've read are over my head. I am swimming in waters where I not only cannot touch the bottom, I can't see the bottom. But Lord, I, I, we want to know what the truth is. We want to know what the greatest truth of all is. And I pray that you would open up our eyes to see what the truth is. I don't expect that I'm going to be able in these 25 or so minutes to reveal everything that is in this passage of Scripture. I can't do it. It's not within me. But Lord, I pray that you would use me to speak the truth to us. That we'll know the truth when we leave. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've always thought that Pontius Pilate got a raw deal. Um... He wasn't the only one, but I I think if we were to take all the people of Scripture and we were to categorize them in good or people or bad people, 
invariably Pontius Pilate always ends up in the bad people category because he was instrumental in interrogating Jesus and ultimately gave in to Jesus being crucified. And so along with folks like Judas Iscariot, uh, we, we categorize Pontius Pilate as, as a bad person. And indeed, he, he made a very tragic and terrible decision that we read about in the, in, at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But as I read about Pontius Pilate, my, my, the compassion within me goes out for him because uh, he was put in an unbelievable position of having to uh, on the spot interrogate Jesus and make a decision on the spot. And he tried to do what was right, but the crowds uh, wouldn't permit him to do what deep down he felt was right. And so ultimately he gave in to them. Uh, but I, in studying Pontius Pilate, I find him to be an analytical person. He's a person who thinks about decisions that he's going to make. And even though he might not always make the right decision, he, he, he puts a lot of thought into every decision that he makes. And as we would expect from someone who puts a lot of thought into every decision they make, Pontius Pilate asks some phenomenal questions. In his interrogation of Jesus, one of the things he asked Jesus, which I think is a, an incredible question, is, uh, who, who are you? Uh, are you the king of the Jews? I think every one of us have to answer that question for ourselves. Who do we believe Jesus is? Who is Jesus? Who are you, Lord? Who are you in my life? Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior? Who are you? Great question. Another question that uh, Pontius Pilate asked, he didn't ask it of Jesus, but it happened during the interrogation of Jesus. He was questioning Jesus. He couldn't find any reason to uh, find Jesus guilty. And so he left Jesus. He came back out to the crowds who were waiting, who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And, and Pilate asked them what I think may be the single most important question that any of us can ever ask. Here's the question he asked. What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? That's the most important question anybody can ask. That's the most important question you and I will ever ask in our lives. More important than who are we going to marry and uh, what am I going to do for a living and what do I want to do for the rest of my life and do I want to go to college? Where will I go to college? Um, more important than any of those is the question, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? This was a question from Pilate. That's an amazing question. And also I think one of the greatest questions that was ever asked of anybody was asked by Pilate in this text in John chapter 18. Jesus is trying to answer Pilate's questions, and in verse number 37, he said, Jesus said, the reason I was born, in fact, the reason for which I came into this world was to testify to the truth. And then he goes on to say, everyone on the side of truth, if you really love truth, if you side with truth, you'll listen to me, Jesus said. And Pilate's question in response to that was, what is truth? What is truth? What is the truth? 
I can't think of a more relevant and appropriate question for us to ask in our day. Because uh, more than at any other time that I can remember in my life, the truth, what is really true, is under siege and under attacks. To, to the extent that now when, when people that we even have always respected, they say something, they say that it's true, we now don't know whether what they're saying is true or not. The truth is so confused. Satan is having a heyday with our world today because he, he knows that, that so many of us are confused about the truth. What we believe to be true isn't true. And what we once thought wasn't true, we claim to be true now and we support it. And, and he's got the world all in an uproar. What is truth? Now, that's a, that's a deeper ocean than I can swim in, let alone preach from. But let's just try to answer that question. What is truth? What can we say about truth? Well, uh, being the astute person I am, uh, I went to Webster's Dictionary to find out what truth is. But have you ever been to the dictionary and it didn't help you any? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, I really appreciate Webster and all his descendants. I appreciate what they've handed down to us. I appreciate the dictionary. But have you ever opened up the dictionary looking for a a definition of of an important word to you only to come away frustrated? That's what happened to me when I looked up the definition to truth. Here's the first definition. This was the first definition in the dictionary. The quality or state of being true. The quality or state of being true. Now, isn't that just, isn't that an extraordinary definition for truth? I mean, I could just close in prayer right now and you know everything you need to know about truth, don't you? The quality or state of being true. Ah, I I started scratching my head. I'm What does that say? So I went on to the second definition. The second definition was no better than the first. The second definition was this, that which is true. So if it's not the quality or state of what is true, it is that which is true. What I hate about definitions like that is I hate a definition where they take a variation of the very word you're trying to define and they stick it in the definition. What is truth? Oh, it's the quality or state of being true. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's that which is true. Well, can you give me a definition for truth that doesn't include a word that starts out with the letters T-R-U? Can you do that for me? Can you do that for me? I'm not sure about that. So the first definition was unsatisfactory. The second definition was no better. So I went on to the third definition. They had, you know, nowadays they have more than just a few definitions for each word. So the third definition really caused me some trouble. Here's the third definition. Truth is a belief that is accepted as true. Did you hear that? Truth is a belief that is accepted as true. Now, I didn't like the first two definitions, but I like them better than the third definition because not everything that is accepted as the truth is the truth. Uh, A case in point, there was a time in the history of the world when most people, a strong majority of people believed the earth was flat. 
amazingly, there are still 23 people on earth who believe that the earth is flat. I don't know how they can believe that, but there was a time when the majority of people believed that the earth was flat. But it wasn't true. Just because the majority believes something does not mean that it's true. There was a time in the history of Christianity, in the history of the Christian church, where it was, the, it was church doctrine or dogma that the whole universe revolved around the earth. Not just a solar system, but they said the, the whole universe revolves around the earth, a geocentric universe. And they based it, they said, on the Bible. And anybody who would come up and say otherwise, if anybody, for instance, came up and said, no, uh, uh, we're in a solar system and the earth is, re- is re- uh, revolving around the sun, if anybody suggested that, which they did, Copernicus, later Galileo, they were put in prison or they were severely persecuted because the majority of the church, including all of the church leaders, believed that the universe revolved around the earth. Of course, now we know that the universe is constantly expanding in every direction and that we're in a solar system in which the uh, planets revolve around the sun. The only thing that revolves around the earth is the moon. And so we were not right, even though there was a majority. So, so this idea that, a, that a truth is a belief that is accepted as true is not, cannot be true. So what is truth? Truth is that which is in accordance with what is in fact reality. It is that which exists and that which is is factual with regard to what exists. There is something true about everything. There's something true about our planet. There's something true, several things true about God. There are things true about uh, what, it, what, is, what is religiously true, what is faith way, faith-based true, and what is not true. Now, that brings me to the first thing I want to say, because when we talk about uh, religion and we talk about uh, things having to do with God, well, instead of just truth, we talk about absolute truth. Absolute truth is that which is inflexibly true. It never, never alters. It never changes. It's always, it's always factual. And it will never not be factual. Absolute truth. And so there is such a thing as absolute truth. Let me just start right there. Now that's a troubling statement because... Um, uh, there are those who say, in fact, I have some friends, and you may too, people I love and people who are good people, who believe that there are no absolute truths. But there are absolute truths. Uh, there are things that are absolutely true about things that really don't even matter. For instance, let me give you an absolute truth. There is no such thing as a round square. How about that? Hello? Y'all still with me over there? There is no such thing as a round square. Or the flip side of that, there is no such thing as a square circle. See, that's an absolute truth. 
that's just, and it's always, it's always been that way. It will always be that way. You will never see a, such a thing as a round square or a square circle. But the fact of the matter is that there are also certain absolute truths about God and faith and salvation and heaven and hell and things of that nature. But let's get back to, to what some people say. There is no such thing as absolute truth. When I hear that, when I hear somebody say that, and I, I don't want to be obnoxious with people because I don't like people being obnoxious with me when I'm talking with them, but somebody comes up and they tell me there is no such thing as absolute truth. What I really want to say and what I might say if I know them well enough is this. Did you realize what you just said? Because you see, the statement, there are no absolute truths, is communicated as if it were an absolute truth. Right? The person who says there are no absolute truths is stating that, is making that statement as if that statement itself were an absolute truth. In other words, it is a self-contradicting, a self-denying statement. You see, the existence of absolute truths That is a logical necessity, that there are absolute truths. Now, okay, so what? Well, it brings me to the second thing, and that is not only are there absolute truths, but truth corresponds to what really exists. What is true is true, period. It is not It is not contingent. It does not depend upon anything else outside of itself and God to be true. Okay? So, if something is true, it is true whether you and I agree with it or not. Okay? It is true whether or not you and I agree with it. Now, this is a major issue here today because, because there, we have come to a place in our world where people define truth by what they already agree with. If you tell me something, uh, if, if, I'm, if I'm like the average person these days, you tell me something, I'm, I'm going to determine the truth of it based upon whether or not I already agree with it, not whether or not it is true. But you see, what is true is true regardless of whether I agree with it. I'm wearing a suit, a uh, uh, coat and pants that uh, Merle Jenkins gave me over a decade ago. I would have worn it last month, but I couldn't get into it. I'm into it today. This uh, suit coat has three buttons. One, two, and three. But let's just say that you're sitting back there and you can't see that clearly and you disagree with me on the number of buttons this coat has on it. And you say, well, I just disagree with that. There are two buttons, not three. Guess what? It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter whether you disagree or agree with the, with the, with the idea that there are three buttons. There are three buttons on this jacket right here. Three, right? Hello? So I can look at this and I can say, oh, there are only two buttons when there are really three. It doesn't matter what we agree or disagree with. The truth stands regardless. Not only does the truth stand regardless of whether we agree with it, it is also not determined by how we feel about it at any given time. You see, somebody 
somebody could, could come up to me uh, earlier in the service and say, well, Jimmy, we heard you singing along with the praise band. Oh, yeah, I, I like singing. Yeah, and you sounded, you're, you, you sounded kind of flat, man. You sounded really hoarse and flat and off-key. I may not feel good about them saying that, and I may feel that I would have preferred them not say that, but guess what? The fact that I didn't feel good about what they said doesn't negate the fact that what they said was the truth. You with me? Truth is contingent upon, it, 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 it just describes what really exists. It, is, it, is, it corresponds to what really truly exists, does not depend on whether we agree on it, doesn't depend on how we feel about it, and it does not depend on your interpretation of a scripture passage. Oh, you remember two weeks ago I talked about the Bible and I said this, I said, the Bible is the inspired word of God, but not your or my interpretation of it. You remember me saying that? One of the problems the Pharisees had was they lifted up their interpretation of the Scriptures to the level of the Scriptures themselves. That is happening today in a lot of circles in Christianity. People, people love their interpretations of a Scripture passage more than they love the Scripture passage itself. But guess what? The truth is somewhere in there, and it does not depend on how we interpret it. Now, we may interpret it right. I will tell you that most interpretations of any given passage of Scripture are, are probably wrong. I'm not saying that to discourage us from studying the Bible. I'm just simply saying this. The truth corresponds to what really exists, doesn't depend on whether we agree with it, doesn't depend on whether we, how we feel about it, and doesn't depend upon our interpretations of it. Number three, there are some absolute truths that are measurable and can be proven. One example, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Scientists have developed instruments that are capable of measuring the speed of light, and they have over and over and over again confirmed, verified that light travels at a speed of 186,000 miles per second. Now, someone would say to me, they say, wait a minute, that, it's not possible for them to measure that. They'd have to be at least 186,000 miles out in order to measure just the, 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 the flight of light for one second. And I said, no, no, not really, not really. You ever driven down the Interstate 85? I know this is, this is certainly the case with some of you. You, you ever travel down Interstate 85 and, and you looked at the I-85 sign, except for you, the I-85 sign is, is you take it to be the speed limit on Interstate 85. And so you're going 85 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour speed limit, you know. And you go across a hill because you're in a hurry. And just coming across the hill, not a tenth of a mile down the road, you see a state trooper. And he's got one of those little camera guns. You've seen them? How many of you have seen those? Don't you just love those? And he's got it on you. He's got it on you. Now, now he, and, and, and he clocks you going 85 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour zone, right? But he was not 85 miles down the road to get that. He was only less than a tenth of a mile, but he had the instrumentation to measure you going 85 miles an hour. 
scientists have concluded and reconfirmed that light travels 186,000 miles per second. That is a that is a provable, scientifically provable truth. By the way, if you do come a, a, across that hill at 85 miles an hour and a 65 mile an hour and you see the state trooper and he's got that little camera on you and then about a half a mile down the road, there's another state trooper that he has telephoned and that one pulls you over and he stops you, comes to the side of your window and says, do you realize why I pulled you over? And you said, I do not know. That's not true. Some absolute truths are scientifically provable, but, and this is number four, there are other, other absolute truths that are not scientifically provable. And in the case of those absolute proofs, absolute truths for which we cannot prove them, we must take them on faith. In fact, I will go so far as to say that the most important absolute truths that exist cannot be proven. Take, for instance, the existence of God. It is impossible to scientifically prove the existence of God. It's scientifically impossible to prove the existence of God. Now, l- let me say the flip side is true. Atheists are in no better a position. It is scientifically impossible to disprove the existence of God. And so, if you and I are going to believe in God, we will believe in God not because His existence can be scientifically proven, but because we choose to believe on faith. You know what faith is? Faith is when you believe something to be absolutely true, even though you cannot scientifically prove that it is true. That's what faith is. And so if you want to believe in God who cannot be scientifically proven to be true, then you must believe, you and I must believe in him on faith, which means we believe in him though we cannot prove that his existence, we believe in him on faith. You say, well, I don't like that. I wish that uh, we could scientifically prove that God exists. And if I could do that, that'd be a whole lot. But guess what? Guess what? If we could scientifically prove the existence of God, if we could scientifically prove that Jesus is Lord, Savior, God, if we could do that, none of us could be saved. You say, what do you mean? If according to the Bible, salvation is by grace through faith. It is only through faith. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. That is by believing, not by proving. And so if we could believe in God based upon scientific evidence, it would not be by faith. It would be by proof. It would be by sight. And therefore we'd all be damned because we could not be saved. So, that brings me to the final thing I want to tell you, number five, and I'll stop here. The Bible tells us that the greatest truth of all is simply Jesus. Simply Jesus. Jesus said in chapter 8, in John 18, 37, he says, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. In other words, Jesus saying, I speak the truth and I embody the truth. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said this. He says, I am the way, 
the truth, hear it, the truth, the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus told the truth. Jesus embodied the truth. Jesus is the truth. And when we receive him as our Savior, we receive the truth as well. Folks, people will argue over what truth is until the cows come home. And there will never be a time. You want an absolute truth? Here's one. There will never be a time when all of us agree on all the absolute truths. How about that? But we don't have to agree on them all. But let's at least camp out on this one. You ready for this? You ready for this one? This is the greatest truth. Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is an absolute truth, ladies and gentlemen, that we must build our lives on. We won't we agree on what truth is, but let's at least agree that Jesus Christ is the greatest truth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we get so confused in our world over what is the truth. One person will say, well, here's what's happening. Another person will come up and say, no, that's not what's happening. This is what's happening. Who's telling us the truth? A husband comes up and says, we're having marital problems, and here, here's what I think is happening. Here's what the problem is. His wife, in a different conversation, says, well, here, we're having problems. Here's what I think the problem is. Their stories are different. Who's telling the truth? Somewhere in the middle of everything, there is the truth. Lord, we know that we may not agree, won't agree on all the truth. But Lord, help us to agree on Jesus, that Jesus is the truth. The way, the truth, and the life. Lord, in this room, there are people who are here not by accident. They're here because you placed them here. There are people here because you wanted them here to make a choice concerning Jesus. What will I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Lord, there are people here who need to receive you as their Savior for the very first time. There are people here who've already received you as Savior, but they need a closer fellowship with you. There are those here who need to join this church. There are people here who need to come and commit themselves to the truth about who they are and their relationships. God, I pray that you'd help us to know the truth and that this truth has a name and his name is Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.